Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this Death and Grief Talk podcast. My name is Joelle Simone Anthony. I'm also known as the Grave Woman. And today I am talking with my internet and death care friend, Nicole, also known as Emerald Awakenings. Emerald Awakenings, aka Nicole, how are you doing today? Welcome. I am, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your life to be here with me. So before we get started, I'd like you to briefly introduce yourself and tell us how you got into the death care space. Sure. Yes. So um, my name is Nicole. I am the founder of Emerald Awakenings. I call myself an end of life guide at this point. Um, My title changes pretty often, but I've landed on Uh, end of life guide because it seems really fitting for um, my offerings to the community currently and also a grief companion because I do hold um, monthly gatherings for uh, people that are needing um, you know space for grief and I do one-on-one sessions as well. Um, So my journey into death work I, I really have to go back to when I was a teenager because that's really where it started Um, I, uh, my first job was at a a funeral home in California, in San Francisco. Um, my grandmother worked in a cemetery and her boss's husband owned a funeral home and I was 15 and looking for money (laughs) and he offered me a job and I was just happy to get a job so quickly. So I took it, not really, not really thinking about the setting I was going to be working in. Um, and my, my first jobs in the mortuary were really just doing some office work, um, you know, vacuuming after a funeral, just kind of all the little things that nobody else wanted to do. Um, and, and things that I was qualified to do, of course. Um, and I ended up working there for about six years um, on and off between school. Uh, I did move to Oregon when I was 18 went to school, but I would go home for the summer and I'd go back to the mortuary and make my money for the year. Um, But really, I mean, it started off as a job to make money, but it ended up being something that really landed in my heart. And um, I thought about it all the time. You know, I was going to school for something different. Um, I wanted to be a social worker. I wanted to be a teacher. And so that's what I was in school for, but nothing really touched my heart like the death care world. Um, So years passed, I did become a social worker. I was a teacher. I did all of that. And in 2019, uh, just having an organic conversation with a good friend about our life's purpose. (laughs) And, you know, I told her that I really missed the the comfort of working in death care. I really um, found a lot of joy in that space. And she said, have you ever thought of becoming a death doula? And that was not a term I was familiar with at the time. So I said, no, but I'll do some research. And I did. I went to Google, typed in what is a death doula, um, and found that there were trainings out there being offered to people that were interested in doing the work. And so I signed up for one, and I took my training in early 2020. and now I have a business. <laughs> wow. Talk about divine timing with taking that training at the beginning of 2020 with none of us knowing 
the shift that was going to take place with the pandemic. Um, You mentioned your offerings to the community. Would you mind going into more detail about exactly what it is that you offer in the death care space? Yeah, that's, I mean, I'd love to because something that I have come to found, so I take this death doula training, right? And the core of the training and the content is sitting bedside with people, um, which I really loved learning about. Um, but the training ended, like you said, divine timing. It was, I, I was the first training session for this organization um, virtual. It, it was supposed to be in person and they changed it to virtual because they had to. Um, so I was trained, but I also couldn't do anything with, with, what I had just learned because of the pandemic. So that felt, I felt like I was on this road to something and then I hit a roadblock, right? Um, and so what I did was um, on a walk one day, I was thinking like, oh, what would I like my business name to be? You know, thinking about all the things I could do with what I had just learned and I, and creating a business name was one of those things and landed on Emerald Awakenings And I ended up creating my Instagram page and really just pretty quickly. I mean, you were one of my first um, friends on there, just started meeting people in the death care world, uh, also struggling to do the work with the pandemic. Um, And it was during that time that I realized that death work wasn't just sitting bedside with people. Um, And I wasn't feeling called to that. I really, really liked the funeral aspect. And then, of course, I was learning about um, home funerals and um, green burial options um, and advanced planning. And those were the areas that I was it was really clicking in my head that I was more interested in doing. And so my current offerings are um, more in the advanced planning um, stage and then post post death education and guidance. Um, I do have a workbook that I've created for advanced planning. Um, it's, uh, it's dedicated more to comfort care, but it also has pages for you to fill out in terms of what you want um, after you die. What, you know, do you want to be buried? Do you want a, a green burial? All the different boxes that you could check so that your families are aware. And um, um, the, the guidebook also talks about the documentation to have ready. Um, you know, create yourself a little folder. So um, that has, uh, that's been going great. I hope to actually uh, put that in a true book form because it's currently just a PDF, um, one of my goals for this year. And then um, I do, I actually do mentorships for aspiring death workers. Um, I've had a couple dozen people that I've mentored, um, which I really love because it's, I hear so often that people don't want to sit bedside, but they want to be in death work. And I feel like I'm a good resource because I learned that early on. And I want people to know that there are other avenues to go. Um, And then in post-death work, just a lot of education right now, educating people on what their options are. Um, You know, I do call myself a home funeral guide. I'm not currently practicing. Um, I I do have a couple of memorial services I'll be officiating later. Um, I am a certified officiant. And and then the grief space, which is kind of, I feel like the grief is kind of the full circle aspect because 
we're always grieving. And then when a death happens, we're grieving in a different way. And I, I've learned that my death, my death work is my grief work is my death work has been kind of what my motto has been lately. So that's, yeah. I love that. And you said so much, and I'm going to use the word jewels. You dropped so many jewels and I'm just seeing because of course your name is Emerald Awakenings, but I love what you said about people wanting to get into this work but not necessarily wanting to do the work in the way that it's presented, because that's also something that I talk to people a lot about. Um, And I know for both you and I, the work is extremely spiritual. And I believe that it's not so much what people call us is what we answer to. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like working in death care, yes, you could call yourself anything, but what call, what are you answering? And I feel like many of us are answering that spiritual calling within us mm-hmm. through the work that we're doing, because being a funeral director isn't for everyone. Being a death doula, as it's understood, is not for everyone. Being an end-of-life guide isn't for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so happy that you and so many other people like you are answering this call and basically naming yourself in a way that resonates truly. So you talk a lot about the pre-planning aspect. You talk about the grief aspect. What personal experience do you have with grief and loss that influences the work that you do and empowers you to speak to others so clearly? Oh, that's a big question. (laughs) Um, You know, the first thing that really comes to mind is just my lived experience. Um, And that's not just around the death topic. Um, I think we need to really shine a light on the idea that grief comes from other forms of loss and change in our lives, not just death, of course. Um, And to to be honest with you, I experienced great loss at a very young age. Um, my, My parents were not mentally able to care for me. And so when I was three years old, I was taken out of their care and um, my grandmother raised me and she raised me until I left home when I was 18. So um, that was some, a great loss that I experienced early in my life. Um, I have considered myself to have an old soul, um, maybe because of that. And um, I, I'm just a natural caregiver, a nurturer. Um, I'm not a a physical mother. I don't have a human child, you know, but I have that mothering sort of persona and um, I like holding space for people. I think that's why I wanted to, you know, social work was really calling to me and being a teacher. I love children. I love um, just being a role model and a guide for people. And so I think that is really the core of why I do what I do. And then with the introduction into death work at a pretty young age as well, um, and realizing that I could use all of those qualities in caring for people during one of the saddest times of their lives. um, I was like, yeah, I can do that. Um, And it's not always easy. I don't wanna be like, I don't don't feel, I, I feel maybe more than a lot of people. I'm an extreme empath. I feel all the things all the time. Um, and maybe that's why I'm good at what I do. 
Um, but I think, and I think it's important for me to say that the work that I do comes through me. I believe that it is my ancestors that are, that are, are surrounding me with love and comfort and telling me this is what you're called to do. And it's never, I've never felt so in the right place, so to speak. That's beautiful. And what listening to you speak, the thing that's coming to me, and I'm going to, I'm asked, I'm sharing this in the form of a question, even though I'm not directly asking. (laughs) But um, the thing that's coming to me is that this work in the way that I do it has forced me to truly honor my divine feminine energy because the education, the system, the way that we perceive death and grief in this realm and especially in our society is so masculine. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to clarify, for those of you who aren't familiar with divine feminine and divine masculine energy, what I mean by that is that divine feminine energy is exactly what you're describing. It's flow, it's nurturing, it's protective, it's Mm -hmm. sensitive, it's aware, not even from a conscious level, but just it's, that's the energy. Divine masculine energy is, I've heard it described as arrow energy. It's direct. It's, it's the hunter. It's the go out and get it, get it done. Mm-hmm. Where in contrast, the feminine energy is the bowl. It sits, it, it holds. And I thought it was so cool. Um, when I started making death doula friends like yourself, you guys use a phrase that I'd never heard before. And it's like, you all say it and you say it so naturally it's holding space. And I'm like, Ooh, what is that? That's sexy. I like that. I'm holding space. Uh What does holding space mean for you? And how has this work healed your divine feminine energy? Because for me, it's truly been a healing process. And I imagine that it is for others as well. Yeah, that's a lovely question. Holding space. Um, I would say I did not use that phrase prior to really digging or jumping back into death work, I think it's, I'm trying to think of how I even came to, to, to use it myself. And I think it was seeing it from other people using that phrase and it resonates. It really defines the, the core of what I want to do with, you know, in, within my death work, um, holding space means sitting um, being present, um, sometimes in silence. Um, I think of holding space as like a box or a container that we can all be in together and share that space and find commonalities in our grief. Um, you know, you, you often hear also that we all grieve, which isn't not true. Of course we do all grieve, but I also like to remind people that we all grieve differently and our grief will inevitably be individualized based on our life experiences. You and I don't have the same grief, even though we both grieve. Um, but holding, but that doesn't mean that we can't all be held in our grief as a collective. So I think that's what holding space, you know, means for me and um, something I'm realizing now that I'm a couple years into the work where I was initially really, really, really educating on death 
and like what death looks like or means or what it can look like or mean to, to people. Um, and like the facts, the, the final disposition facts, your options. And I'm finding that I'm, I'm moving in a direction of more educating people on feeling okay with what you're feeling in grief and not just through death. Um, and that's probably because grief has, is so on the surface right now. You know, I'm, I mean, it's, it's under the surface, but what I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And especially in the last couple of years, I've, I've never seen the word grief pop up so much. And that's because we're all deep in grief right now for so many different reasons. Um, and, you know, I've always tried to take care of myself. I'm a firm believer in therapy for myself. Um, but it wasn't until I started my death work that I really, really started tapping into grief that probably wasn't touched for 20, 30 years. You know, the grief that I've always felt like I'm, you know, quote unquote strong. I'm a strong person. And I can't say that I'm not, but it's okay to not be strong. And I'm only now understanding what that means. It doesn't mean I'm any less than I thought I was before. Um, but that's because this death, my death work has taken me into this grief work for myself. So I love that. And I'm kind of looking to the side because the, the UPS guy is outside and I'm hoping he leaves the package on the steps. <laughs> my dog goes crazy, which he's not, of course, he's going to come up here. That's, that's the noise. So if it goes kind of radio silent for a second, guys, it's just like, I don't want you to hear my dog barking. That's all. No problem. Um, <laughs> but I love that. And I used to have conversations. Um, hold on one second. Mm -hmm. okay. And we're back. <laughs> um, I was saying that I, I'm so happy that this is happening, that these conversations about grief are happening because Prior to my uncle, who was probably the biggest influence in my decision or my my decision to answer the call of death care, um, he was a funeral director. And he told me flat out when I would tell him the things that I wanted to do, which, which I'm doing now, I had no idea I'd be doing it, but the things I wanted to do, he said, you're focused on aftercare. And right now there's nothing that says you can make a living doing that or that people have a desire to even have aftercare. People bury their loved ones. The majority of them go on with their life and they deal with their grief in their own way. And I feel like the aftercare space is so wide open now because we are collectively grieving. And I believe that, of course, you know, there are things that spark shift in this realm, but it has to be experienced by the collective, by the one. And the fact that there's space for you, there's space for me, there's death doula, there's space for going with grace, there's space for Oceana end of life doula, there's space mm -hmm. for Caitlin Doty, there's space for Little Miss Funeral and Carrie Northey and Monica Torres, just all of these amazing women and men that I'm, I'm, I don't know that are, and those that don't identify as man or woman or human. Right, right. Mm -hmm. There's so much space for everyone because we all need that aftercare. Mm -hmm. 
what does the word aftercare mean to you? Mm. You know, when I think of aftercare, I think of um, consistency. Mm. Um, I don't think of aftercare as like a one-time visit, I guess. Um, this might be hard to relay in words, but um, it feels ongoing um, with no, kind of like no finish line, right? And um, when we talk about grief, it's often misconceptualized that you go through these phases and then you hit the finish line and you're done. And that's not true. And if you believe that, let's talk because um, that's not the way it's gonna happen. Um, you could go through all those phases. You're gonna go backwards, you're gonna go forwards. And I feel like aftercare is an ongoing thing for people that we're going to need maybe indefinitely, um, you know, to help us stay grounded and continue on with life. Um, it just feels very necessary that it's um, aftercare not be something that is you set up three visits and then you're done. And if you are done, uh, hopefully you're set up with tools so that you can continue your aftercare on your own or find the next step in your aftercare. Yeah, I think that may be the name of my next project, aftercare. Yeah. I like, I just like the way it feels. And I haven't really thought about that conversation or those conversations I'd had with him until we started talking. And I feel like maybe that's something that's coming through. Um, but what's next for you? Oh my goodness. What is next? Um, this year has been so much, well, so far, very different than last year and very different than the year before, which is the year I kind of started my journey. Um, <clears throat> 2020, I was being taking every education I could possibly find, mostly because I couldn't go out and do the work. So I thought, well, I'm just going to keep taking trainings. A lot of them were, you know, offered at discounts or there was a lot of free stuff at the time too, right? Um, which that charging for your services is a whole other conversation. Oh, we can have that conversation. <laughs> Please charge for your have services. that conversation. Wish, right? I love that conversation. <laughs> I know. Um, and then last year was really me um, building my website, um, taking all of that education and figuring out what I wanted my offerings to be. Um, and building the website was, I did it myself with zero education in regards to how building a website looks or should look or can look. Um, and owning a business, I've never taken a business class in my life. So a lot to learn. So I created my foundation and I feel like this year I'm just riding the wave. Um, I don't have a whole lot on my plate. I do have, you know, I think it's important for me to recognize that I have a full-time job outside of death care that takes up a lot of my time. Um, and so I have a million lovely things I would like to do with my death care. I do want to do um, some educational pieces. Um, I have a really big goal of taking my work out into the community and not um, be focusing just on social media and promoting myself there um, because word of mouth is really how you're going to be recognized. And I really want to be recognized in my 
in the Portland community. So that's kind of a big goal for me. And then um, my workbook, I'd love to self-publish it and have it be a book that people can buy and ship to their home. And um, I've always wanted to write a book and I feel like that's a good start. So it's a hard question to answer because I, I want to do so many things, but realistically, I can only do so much at one time. So And educating. I just want people, I want to be a resource that if, if you have a question on where to get uh, an urn or how to make a piece of jewelry with your friend's ashes or um, educating people on green burials or, oh, I didn't know I didn't have to go to a funeral home. So what can I do? I want to be that person. Come to me. Let's have that conversation. Because if all I ever do with my death work is just educate, then I feel like I've done exactly what I'm supposed to. Mm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I'm sending prayers and positive energy and just love and light to everything that you're trying to do, because I think you're amazing. I feel your spirit and your energy is authentic. And I told you this before, you're a connector and everything that you've said is aligned with connecting others to what they need. You touched on something very interesting that I just want to spend maybe a minute or two on before we go. Um, what are your thoughts about now being in the position to charge for your offerings? Yeah. And why do you think there's such, there's this stigma around death care professionals in any capacity charging for their work? Yeah, I want to choose my words wisely because I, uh, I don't want to ever offend anybody. And I think that whatever you choose for your offerings and your business is the right choice for you. Um, I think there's a big conversation around people that don't charge for their services take away from this bigger idea that we can charge for our services and we should be able to without being um, looked down upon for charging for our services. And so I don't, I don't have a belief that we should or shouldn't, right? Um, you know, initially it was a big goal of mine to have death work be my main moneymaker, how I survive. I have to pay bills. I'd yeah. love to offer all of my time to everybody for free, inevitably forever. Right. But I, that's not realistic. Um, and so I chose the path of charging for my services. I, I, I found numbers that felt right for me. And um, I always tell people that, you know, people come to me in my mentorships and they ask me, what should I charge? And I tell them to go look at other people's numbers, choose ones that are right for them, and inevitably offer that sliding scale for people so that um, if people who have money will pay the higher end of your sliding scale, they just will, because they're going to be very grateful for what you're offering to them. Um, and then some people just don't have the money. And so they'll choose that lower end or they'll contact you on you know, payment plans or setting something up because they really want to use you, but they just don't have that money immediately or something like that. So um, I, I, I am more of an advocate for charging for services because it should never be looked down upon. I just think that's silly. <laughs> that feels right. Um, my personal opinion, and I've said this publicly, is that 
presenting yourself as a desk care provider is not a vow of poverty. Um, like you said, I have bills. I have to take care of myself. I, I need insurance. There's things that I need as a human being to live and survive in this realm. What that does not mean is that I have the right to take advantage of people. Um, and I think that there's such, especially being a death care, like a licensed funeral director, a licensed health insurance or life insurance agent, mm-hmm. a licensed everything that I present myself as, to me, those are credentials which enable me to charge for my services. And then my experience above all else are credentials that back up the prices that I charge, which in reality could be a lot more. <laughs> and absolutely, mm-hmm. just on a personal level, if someone reaches out to me or if I'm doing something that I feel everyone needs to have access to, I'll give it away if you contact me and tell me, hey, I can't, you know, afford this or I'll offer a sale or I'm very, I, I, those that support me and are loyal to me, I try to do the same to them. So I'll give you whatever off or whatever, you know, just, I just don't like the conversation that we don't deserve to be paid for what we contribute to the community and to the world because no one else has that stigma attached to them. No other field has that stigma attached to them. And I don't think that's fair Mm -hmm. for several reasons. Firstly, because the work that we do is so in depth, we have to give, not saying other people or other people that do other jobs don't give from a certain place. But like you said, this is, I'm going to use the word heavy work. There's a lot that I have to do spiritually to cleanse from a lot of the work that is done and prepare for the work that is to be done. So again, I say presenting yourself as a death care professional is not a vow of poverty, Um, but make sure that your work is worth what you charge. Um, Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. Yeah. And a lot of the money that we make goes into furthering our education and taking ourselves so that we can help the next person. The next person, like mm-hmm. it costs, like a lot of people, um, when I speak to people, especially when um, consulting about developing an online business in particular, people have the misconception that operating an online business is somehow drastically less expensive than having a brick and mortar store. And while you don't have the overhead of a physical building, which a lot of times is obtained through loans, you do have the maintenance of websites. You have to have people, if you don't know how, to maintain those websites, to troubleshoot, to to do all those things. And many times we're figuring that out along the journey because we don't have the money to hire people to do those things. Right, and we don't have an employer paying for our health insurance. And that is very expensive to do on your own. And that's just one of several other things. Several other things that the online, the new world of death care presents. So yeah, I feel like that was a good, that's a good place to land. I think so too. (laughs) So where can everyone find you, Nicole? Sure. Yes. So um, I have a presence on Instagram. My handle is emerald.awakenings. And then my website is emeraldawakenings.com. And my email is nicole at emeraldawakenings.com. So I try to make it easy for everybody. 
Awesome. And all of that will be listed in the description below on this video, in the description for this podcast, and on the screen for those of you that are watching. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, Nicole. Your continued support of the Grave Woman, and I just wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Joa. I really appreciate this, and I'm, I'm grateful for our conversations. Thank you guys so much for listening. Live love. Live life, love hard. We'll talk to you next time.